Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the End Time Tribune, covering breaking news and current events as it pertains to Bible prophecy. In effect, chronicling the coming of Christ the King. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this edition of the End Time Tribune, this December the 9th, 2017. 1947, the United Nations Partition Plan for Palestine was signed on November the 29th, or that year, on the Hebrew calendar, was the 16th of Kislev, 5708. Seventy years later, on the biblical calendar... The 16th of Kislev 5778. This year was December the 4th, 2017. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the exact date that it hit the news that President Trump announced that he was going to be declaring Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. I mean, you can even go to the Wikipedia current events page and plainly see that that's when it hit the news. He was going to release this. He did so on December the 4th. That means that the document that he signed live on air in front of the nation, that document had been compiled, had been printed up. On December the 4th. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you all need to seriously consider that you may very well be the final generation, the terminal generation. We all just may have very well witnessed the trigger on the start gun being pulled. Why, you're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Let's ride.
Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's edition of the End Time Tribune. It's good to be with you this week. Brian and I tried to do a broadcast yesterday, but the BTR server was down for several hours. So today, just to make sure I got on, I signed on the switchboard six hours ago and just left the web page up. So I am thankful to be here with you tonight. Clinton, how huh? How do I ask this question? You know, ladies and gentlemen, I don't I think we all need to really consider that standard question, how are you doing? Because that may very well could have changed for everybody. So Clinton, what's your What's your thoughts on what's transpired this week? Well, it, uh, I, I kind of chuckled when you when you asked that question because yeah, the, the the answer has changed, and and it's it's weird not only for for me personally, but then just when when you talk to people about what has happened this last week with the United States recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and you you get either this this look of fear or this look of complete just happiness. And it's it's kind of scary to see the, the range between both because, I mean, you know, I mean, we, we shouldn't necessarily fear this, but also we shouldn't be completely ecstatic because of what is to come as well. So it, you're, you're kind of in, in that in-between ground of exactly how to feel. I, I guess that's the best way I can explain it. Amen to that. Brian? Uh, what's your thoughts on what's happened this week, bud? Well, it's definitely ramped things up at a very uh, incremental speed here in the Middle East, you know, and I guess pointing out um, something Clinton just mentioned is reactions, and I'd almost have to say precursors of what led to the actions leading to these reactions because there was a lot of things going on behind the scenes, folks, that I think a lot of people completely overlooked as far as what just happened here with this announcement. And I'll be covering that later in the show. So, but yeah, it's, it's been something else this week. I mean, I've had my eye locked on Israel and Jerusalem and all the surrounding countries throughout the entire week here. And there's been other news, but nothing in comparison to what just transpired here with this uh, announcement. That seems to have eclipsed everything, but the inversion of that, it's uneclipsed everything. Because, ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's, let's put our cards on the table, shall we? This was always the question. There was really nev- never any other question. How can all the Muslims stop killing each other, get on the same page, and have a common purpose? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the protest began at Rachel's tomb. You all not understand the phrase Bethlehem Ephrata? Do you not know what that means? 
Do you not know what prophecy that comes from? I mean, look it up. That's where the protest started. Was it Rachel's tomb? Clinton, uh, you have the mic. Um, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we're not here to entertain you. And I think that this week, above all other weeks, you should really set up and try to qualify and quantify everything that comes out of Clinton's mouth, Brian's mouth, and my mouth. Because whether you like it or not, this is what's happened. Ladies and gentlemen, just, just, just let me read it to you. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat, the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord, came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Zechariah, the son of Edu, as follows. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have compassion for Jerusalem and cities of Judah, which you have been indignant these 70 years? The Lord answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. So the angel who was speaking with me, with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem. And Zion. But I am very angry with the nations who are at ease, for I was only a little angry. They furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched. Over Jerusalem. You know, the real crux to this, ladies and gentlemen, is this. If you didn't catch it, let me reverberate. Why did the angel of the Lord turn around and say to the Lord God of hosts, and question him about when these things were going to take place because that echoes something that's in Revelation. In case you didn't miss it, I'll read that as well before Clinton gets started. 
when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of their testimony, which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. You'll also take note from Zechariah that the one said to him, I will show you what they are, even though that never happened, did it? Don't you realize that, ladies and gentlemen, that back in Zechariah, I just read it to you, but that's what was stated. Zechariah was never shown what they were, was he? And, of course, the line that would be stretched over Jerusalem. Don't you realize when you're shown that event? Because that's in the book of Revelation as well. Please consider these things and take them to heart that the crying out of those at the altar is in perfect synchronicity with what the angel of the Lord turned around and questioned the Lord our God about. And I'm sure that all of us are thankful that the angel of the Lord turned around and questioned the Lord our God because nobody else is going to. Not even the mighty cherubim. The seraphim, nobody would dare question the Lord our God to his face. Revelation points out that the only people qualified to do that are there at the altar. Where's that put you? Where are you at on the timeline? Clinton, you have the mic. You know, I I touched on it earlier, but you know, just to kind of lead in, is before the program, I had no idea how to begin tonight, and and it's just because I mean, when you see something to the caliber of what just happened, it, it kind of puts you aback. I mean, you you really don't you have to pinch yourself and see if is this real, even though you know I've been studying this since I was a child. Even though we talk about it every weekend and, and, and numerous others uh, contribute to what is going on and, and what we can see, even though all that to actually see it is amazing. And, and I can definitely see the mix in, in emotion, the, the difference in do you feel happy about this or do you be afraid about this? And and the truth of the matter is it comes down to not only how your faith is in God, but how you stand on what is coming. What we have been taught is that we'll be gone, we'll be taken away, 
and that we're not going to have to foresee what is coming upon the earth. But anyone that studies scripture has proven that that is not real. It's, it's not how it's described. It's not even close. But that's what we're taught, what we're told to believe. So that's where this excitement comes from. Oh, great. I'm going to be gone. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to be around. But then reality sinks in. And you realize, no, that the planet has to be cleansed, that the harvest has to come, that all of the, the items that were talked about through the, the prophets of old, through Daniel, through Revelation, all of those must come true, every word, according to our Savior Jesus, every word. And you or I, are not worthy to just be removed from this. We are here to witness, to see, to know, and to watch. What we saw this week, that's your trigger. If you haven't seen it in the Middle East, if you haven't seen what the Arab world is talking about right now, then you haven't been opening your eyes to anything. I mean, Thursday Night Football wasn't that great. But what was going on in the news was, even watching YouTube, everything is being funneled around what is going on in the world. And we all saw it, every single one of us. But what does this mean? What does Donald Trump giving Israel Jerusalem, what does that mean? Well, technically, Israel doesn't own Jerusalem, technically. And they only have possession of half of it. Well, Donald Trump recognizes the entire city for Jerusalem, which is, of course, going to cause major chaos with the Palestinians and with the Arab world because of the significance of Jerusalem, because the Palestinian people believe Jerusalem is their capital as well. And so does the EU. I mean, the EU came out publicly and said this after Donald Trump's announcement. And the European Union top diplomat said Thursday the organization would push for a two-state solution between Israel and Palestine, where the later would also claim Jerusalem as its capital. The European Union has a clear and united position. We believe the only realistic solution to this conflict between Israel and Palestine is based on two states with Israel as the capital, or Jerusalem as the capital of both. <laughs> they talked about this years ago. I mean, of, of having Jerusalem be the capital of both Israel and the state of Palestine. And what they talked about doing at that time was actually having it be an international city, uh, a, a city of prayer, a city of religion, uh, of a capital of the world, as you could say, uh, run by, well, the Vatican. I mean, this is what they talked about years ago. So, now we have the United States saying we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, and we have the European Union saying we're going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Palestine. <laughs> there's your showdown. Now, if, if this is already set up, and there's possibilities that this is already set up, considering that Mahmoud Abbas went to the king of Saudi Arabia before he announced that he was going to hand over to everything over to his son to give him an update on the Palestinian authority being control over the entrance into the Palestinian territories from the Palestinian 
from Hamas um, and also gave an update on the peace arrangements. This was, this was talked about from the Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of Palestine, to the leader of Saudi Arabia at the time. After that came back, then all of a sudden everything went down in Saudi Arabia, and now we see Trump pull this off as well. So is this a, is this a game? Is this a, a play? We, we know Syria, you know, we as, we as the United States, we're inside Syria, and we technically should not be. And Syria said, hey, any country that's inside our borders that we have not asked to be here, we are going to treat the same as what we treated the terrorists. Well, Syria formally came out and asked the United States, please leave Syria. We, we never asked you here. Uh, ISIS is gone. Iraq said ISIS has gone out of Iraq as well. We want you to leave. And, and the United States response was they're going to stay there as long as they want. So, of course, that's not going to be good for Syria. It's not going to be good for Assad and, and Russia and also the proxy, Iran. So, so what's happening is now we have reports of Iraqi fundamentalists moving to Lebanon, to the border between Lebanon and Israel, to join up with Hezbollah to try to come into Israel through the border of Lebanon, which... Also, ironically, the leader of Lebanon resigned in Saudi Arabia and then went back to Lebanon and took his post again. So they technically never lost their president, but they, he resigned and then said, no, I'm not going to resign. So all this, is, all this seems like it's just kind of set up like everything is already staged. And it seems like what is happening is we have Saudi Arabia with their purge trying to go after Iran and Israel wanting to take control of Jerusalem and handle this Palestinian issue and also this issue with Syria once and for all. And the United States willing to go along with it because, well, we're going to be able to control the petrodollar. We're going to be able to control the oil in Saudi Arabia and also have the use through Saudi Arabia because our government isn't in the best shape. I mean, if you, if you haven't noticed, I mean, just turn on Fox News and they'll tell you how bad the Democrats are and turn on CNN and they'll tell you how bad the Republicans are. I mean, it's pretty consistent. I mean, they don't really talk about anything of any importance, just who's worse. But they did come out with a, a deal to save everyone so the government's not going to shut down. You know, since we just gave a massive tax plan to the the, the rich, you know, now we approved a budget, right? No, we, we did up until December 22nd. Uh, the government still technically could shut down on December 22nd, which means Merry Christmas to all you government workers who are not going to get a paycheck. But, you know, they're, they're going to work out a deal. You know, all they got to figure out between the, the Democrats who are so horrible and the Republicans who are so horrible is they got to figure out, this immigration issue and they got to build a wall and fund it and, and come up with a budget for the next year when <laughs> we just redid everything, you know, and they got, you know, two weeks. So obviously they're going to be able to accomplish that because they're incredibly efficient. So, so the United States from a financial standpoint, we're very, very stable. <laughs> That's sarcasm if you haven't figured it out. And from a political standpoint, we're, we're falling apart. 
we have investigations going into we don't know if if someone cahooted with Russia. There's speculation that there's cahoosion with Israel. We we have cahoosion with Saudi Arabia. We we don't know who was involved with Turkey. I mean, we we as a government are so in trouble right now. We don't know who we who has intelligence that they're released to who and who we can trust and who we can't trust as a government. And that is a sad situation to be in. It doesn't matter if it's Republican, Democrat, or what, that is a sad situation to be in. And you can say whoever let out the bag, well, I'm sorry, but this this investigation is going to come out to something. Either it's going to come out to the intelligence administrations are lying and then we can't trust them, or we have a president of the United States that has actually been involved with foreign governments, and then we can't trust him. So pick your poison. Either way, the outcome is not going to be beneficial for the United States. And, and the rest of the world, they understand this. They, they know this. They see this as their opportunity. And corporations see this as their opportunity as well. I mean, they're not idiots. I mean, that's why most corporations are moving to China. That's why most banks are trying to get set up either with the, you know, European, um, you know, monetary fund, or they're trying to actually get set up with BRICS nations. You know, they're leaving the United States, but the market keeps going up because, well, as Bank of America came out and said, every time that the market starts to go down, there's a plunge protection team that'll go and buy stock to pump it back up. There's, there's your answer. So those of you that are so excited about making money, think of that, that the only reason you're making money is because the government is putting money into the system to make you money. That's, that's it. That's the answer. So good luck. Good job. Keep making that money. While the rest of the world is looking into cryptocurrencies, the rest of the world is looking into revaluing Commodities. The rest of the world is looking to get away from oil and get away from the U.S. dollar. I mean, we have developments in this last week that rival what just happened in Jerusalem. And it's all based on money, all based on what's going on in the world. I mean, and, and I'm going to try to put this together the best way that I can, um, but, but everyone's heard of Bitcoin. And if you haven't heard of Bitcoin, it's basically gone from – uh, $200 or actually $5 in 2011 to now it's up to $17,000 per coin. Um, it's larger than most major corporations. It's, it's growing drastically and, and at some points it's going up 10% per day. And it's because everyone's flocking into it because of this blockchain technology, this, this ability to be able to buy online and have it be secure and have it be untraceable. Um, so everyone is flocking to this commodity. Everyone thinks that this is going to be the new currency, the, the new world currency, as you could say it. Um, but then you have interesting things happening going on with Russia and China. You have Russia come out and actually is talking about criminalizing the cryptocurrency mining. So basically with Bitcoin, you can do certain tasks, certain deeds or whatever it may be, and then you mine Bitcoin and you get a new one. Well, they've come out that the energy it takes to mine Bitcoin is equivalent to the energy it takes to run like 165 countries. So they're going to have to come up with a massive you know, supply of energy to be able to continue mining currency, you know, this, this Bitcoin. So it's in an essence of that side of it's not very efficient. But then 
the public has caught on to it and the entire world has caught on to it and, and the banks have caught on to it. And they know that everyone is moving to this. We, we see in India where they've actually done, you know, to where they're phased out cash. Uh, same with Sweden. They're working to phase out cash. Um, we, we know this is happening. And this last week, there's a patent given to Bank of America that is going to revolutionize everything. And, and basically what this patent is, um, is in a major move for cryptocurrencies, Bank of America has won a patent for crypto exchange system. This is part of a larger growing movement to incorporate crypto into traditional financial models. The system would theoretically be able to easily convert one digital currency into another while establishing the exchange rate between the two currencies based on external data. So basically how it works is like money in a traditional banking account, the customer um, would store their cryptocurrency in an account. And then there would be a second account that would hold the currency to be sold. And then the third account would contain the currency the customer is going to convert to. So basically there's three different accounts that holds it so that way you have the real-time exchange rate for the different currency. And then they change it. They do the currency right there and there. And they, they, you have the exchange rate. Also works to where they can go and they can track and legitimize um, these exchanges and these, these um, purchases. Well, the technology goes and simplifies the conversion of digital currencies and will make them not only easier, but will also ideally will further the, uh, the legalization of cryptocurrencies in general. Um, then there will be a place like, for instance, like in Catalonia, uh, the article goes on and says, um, is what they're actually thinking about doing is, is adapting a cryptocurrency instead of going into a central bank. Instead of going into the IMF or going to like a BRICS bank, they're going to actually just go into the cryptocurrencies. Venezuela did that to where the civilians in the um, uh, country would have a hard time uh, when everything was hitting their economy. And so what they did is they mined Bitcoin and they used Bitcoin to buy everyday necessities. Uh, Venezuela came out and said they're going to actually produce a Petro cryptocurrency. So basically back their cryptocurrency coming out of Venezuela with Venezuelan oil, which we found out a couple of weeks ago that half of their largest oil company was just sold to Russia in exchange for debt, basically. So there's your proxy. You're going to have oil be backed by a cryptocurrency coming out of Venezuela that's basically backed by Russia. You have Bank of America that just was given the opportunity to exchange cryptocurrencies in real time. Now, once this gets up and running, they'll be able to look into illegal activity as well. So the patent system also has the capability of assessing the transactions for possible illegal trading activities. It will use such data as the amount of virtual currency being converted in order to calculate the risk score of a transaction. If the system determines that the transaction has high legal risk, it will cancel it. So with this, this cryptocurrency, with the blockchain technology, with the patent that Bank of America just got approved on that exchanges cryptocurrencies, there's a built-in audit tool that basically once the system determines if it's a risky exchange, it will stop the exchange. It doesn't say what it'll do with those currencies when it stops the exchange, if it holds them, because you would think if they're going to stop a, a sale or a transaction, there has to be some kind of reason behind this.
well, this is leading all to basically control how people sell, how people buy, how people control their their finances, how people interact with everyday exchanges. And the reason for this is the entire world understands what the the media won't tell you is unfortunately the the world's moving away from the United States dollar. We're doing everything we can to hold on to it. And hold on to it means backing Saudi Arabia and Israel and what's going on in the Middle East. That is us trying to control our currency. That is us trying to control the world currency, which is what the United States dollar used to be. What this technology, what these exchanges are doing is changing it from the old order to the new. From the currency that's backed by oil based out of Saudi Arabia in the Middle East to a currency that's digital that's going to be backed by oil in various locations and gold as well. We know this from the crypto ruble and the crypto yuan that both Russia and China are talking about. We even have the, uh, the former economic chief economist out of the World Bank. This is a, a quote that he said. The dominance of the greenback, you know, the U.S. dollar, is the root cause of global financial and economic crisis. The solution to this is to replace the national currency with a global currency. Now, what most people think of as a global currency is kind of what we have now. With we have a, a dollar, you take out of your, you know, your billfold and you, you know, change it for whatever you want to buy. But what this blockchain technology is doing is it's changing everything to where everything can be, everything can be exchanged. And and I'll get into that in a second. But but we have more clues given out from Vladimir Putin two months ago when he was talking in, at the BRICS summit. Um, Russia shares the BRICS countries. Um, concerned over the unfairness of the global financial and economic architecture, which does not um, give due regard to the growing weight of the emerging economies. We are ready to work together with our partners to promote international financial regulation reforms and to overcome the excessive domination of the limited number of reserve currencies. So basically he's just saying that as a BRICS nation, the the banks and the countries are willing to get together to bust the reserve currency, which is the U.S. dollar. And they're trying to do it. We've talked about it numerous times through the broadcast. But here recently, Iran and China are looking to make actual moves to do trades without the U.S. dollar. And, and China has become more and more blatant about what they're saying. Um, so China said that the international banking relations would improve if the dominance of certain developed countries on payment mechanisms would be eliminated. So basically what they're saying is if the U.S. dollar be eliminated, that the international banking system would get along so much better. Uh, we could use the experiences of European countries to establish or in establishing the euro as a common currency between many countries, which is not exclusively controlled by a single country. So basically what the BRICS nations is they plan on going through and creating what they developed in the European Union. But they're going to have their own banking system to rival the United States and to rival the European Union. Iran's top banker said a monetary deal between Tehran and Beijing to enable their traders to use local currencies would be instrumental in efforts to reduce the reliance on Iran, of Iran and China on the dollar. 
So you have the cryptocurrencies that are going to be exchanged between them in real time. And then they're also working on having exchange rates between the countries in real time as well, to where they can buy oil and they can trade everything and it's no big deal. And then you have exchanges going on between Russia and China where, you know, Russia just recently came out and said they're going to um, do a 1 billion yuan dominated or denominated bonds. So basically they just took out a $1 billion loan from China and they're going to have the Chinese government fund that or the Chinese people go, uh, fund that as well. And this is all just building up to what they're planning on doing. Not only do we in the United States need to fund our military for what is coming, but the other countries are going to have to fund their militaries is coming as well. And that's what part of that was that just happened. Now, the big linchpin, and people have been watching this for a long, long time, has always been based between the exchange of gold and silver. And gold and silver has been, you know, money since the beginning of time. And people have always considered that except for modern man. Modern man says that it's worthless, that it's not a, a true currency, that it's not money, and that it's a commodity, something to be traded kind of like Bitcoin. Well, China and Russia don't necessarily consider that. And the majority of the BRICS nations don't consider that as well. I mean, they're large consumers of gold and silver. They're large producers of gold and silver. So the exchange rate between gold and silver for those countries has to be correct. Otherwise, it's going to definitely impact their exchanges. Well, right now, there's two places that you can buy gold and silver. One is London. The other is New York. And both of them have run off a derivative system, you know, basically to where everything is kind of chopped up and separated and and – there's no physical trade of metal. It's all just you buy it, you pay the bank to hold it, and then when you want to sell it, the bank gives you money. So there's never really any exchange of metal. And the CEO of Goldman Sachs many years ago said that what they would do is for every one ounce of, of gold or silver they held in the bank, they would sell that 100 times. So if all 100 people showed up at the bank wanting their gold or silver, one person would get it. That was years ago. There's speculation that that exchange rate may be 500 to 1. Well, this is known by China. This is known by Russia. And they've been stocking up on gold and silver for a long time. Their plan is to revalue gold and silver as well, which will throw the financial system into complete chaos. If you think the rise of Bitcoin has been phenomenal to see, to watch it go up a thousand points a day or, you know, a thousand dollars a day. If you think that's amazing, the gold and silver market, the true gold and silver market with metals is going to blow up. And that's going to be something that's going to dwarf Bitcoin, but everything is being moved electronic. Every commodity is being moved electronic. We, we talked months ago about how Israel was talking about making a cryptocurrency and backing it by diamonds. Everyone is coming out with these, these cryptocurrencies. And, and part of the reason for that is everything is going to turn into a derivative. Everything is. We, we are in a derivative bubble to the point that the world has never seen. And the whole world cannot get out of this derivative bubble because, well, everyone bought into it and no one can get in, into it or get out of it. So, so the ultimate plan is to create this derivative and cut everything up to where you can say, okay, I got this electronic ounce of silver. I'm going to cut it into an eighth electronically and trade it electronically for whatever I want to buy electronically. And see, see what I'm saying? The exchange of handing a dollar bill to someone is going to change. 
everything's going to be electronic, which leads to one of the last things that I want to kind of bring up, which is just absolute craziness. Um, and if it wasn't directly from the Russia Times, I wouldn't necessarily believe it. But, you know, I mean, everyone kind of expects Vladimir Putin to be running for re-election in 2018. I mean, he shouldn't have a problem winning. I mean, you would think that there would be no one that would be able to run against him to actually get people to vote. But there's a surprise candidate that has already 20, 23,000 signatures. And they only need, you know, the, I think like the 300,000 or whatever to get put on the ballot. And they still got a whole other year to get these signatures. There's no other way to phrase it except for just read this article. The 2018 Russian presidential run is about to get interesting, as more than 23,000 people have already supported a particular bid to rival Vladimir Putin. Russian AI chatbot Alice knows each voter personally and has no weak sides, its campaign claims. The president that personally knows you reads the website promoting Alice's bid for the country's top job. The unconventional candidate boasts at least six major advantages over other contenders led by emotions and instincts, Alice Camp states. Russian search giant Yankee's virtual assistant relies solely on logic and takes rational decisions fast as it instantly processes information. To reach Alice for comment, you only need to open up the app and ask the question. The potential candidate also knows everything about your problems and takes each option into consideration. The chatbot does not age or gets tired, the campaign points out. I had problems, or I had solved problems even bigger, Alice says, when asked whether she could run and rule the world's biggest country in the campaign's promo. Alice's Cassie, uh, according to the press release, would form a political system of the future built wholly on rational decisions made by strict algorithms. So we live in a brave new world. We have, in realistic, like today times, we have the possibility of uh, a chatbot, artificial intelligence, running for president of Russia in 2018. We, we just noticed, you know, Sophia that, that just was gained citizenship, uh, an artificial intelligence robot in Saudi Arabia that was given Saudi Arabia citizenship. If these are the two banking systems that are trying to arise out of this, whatever this is that's going on in this economic war, there's your two artificial intelligence. Absolutely insane to see this happening. But there's no other way to, to phrase it. There's no other way to show because – Everywhere you look, we have these things popping up, and we have everything going crazy. For, for those of you that have never seen the ni- uh, 1988 January edition of The Economist magazine, please look at it. And, and I just posted a copy of it on my Twitter. But basically, that magazine is a depiction of the one world currency that they planned on releasing in the year of 2018. And they planned this in 1988. And with everything that's going on with this blockchain technology, with the derivatives, with the exchanges, you can see the system being put into place. You can see it developing. And it's right there in front of us. So before I hand it over to Matthew, 
everyone, be very, very careful for what's happening and make sure you're aware of everything that's going. Now, last week, or and I, I think a couple weeks before that, Matthew mentioned that he kept having people email and say they, they've been studying prophecy for 20 years and that they, they have these interpretations. And, and my advice to you is listen and write it down. There's obviously a reason that, that God put this on your heart for you to study it for 20 years, to look into what is happening before it got to this point. So write it down. We, we know that scripture has been handed through the ages different ways. We, we know the actual authors to some of the books, Moses, Paul, John. We know them for a fact that they wrote certain books. But other books, we don't know the exact author, Luke and John. But scripture got handed through time. It got given through. What we are experiencing and the, the wake-up mark was Jerusalem. What we are experiencing is a time that scripture and, and the Old Testament talked about, that warned us about, that spent so much time trying to prepare us for. But there's people after us. There's a millennial reign of a thousand years after this point. So those saying that, that the earth is going to be destroyed now, that's wrong. Those that, that are saying that they, what's going on now doesn't matter because they're not going to be here, they're wrong. It matters because it has to matter because we have to provide that light during this darkness. Now, you know, I, I've been blessed to be on the End Times Tribune for almost a year now. And, and it struck a chord when Matthew said, you know, that they were bringing up 20 years. Because I remember the conversation I had with Matthew when I first got on, and that was me. I studied for 20 years to learn everything I could for this time that's coming. And I was blessed also to put it down in a book. So, you know, as a, a way of saying thank you to, to all of you listeners, um, I, I did make it to where my book is, is free on Kindle. Um, just go to Amazon, type in Submissive Wisdom, or just type in my name, Clinton Coach, and it'll be free from tomorrow until the 14th. I think it's important because in there, I, I try to, as plainly as I can, explain everything that we're going through and to bring in as much scripture. And this, this book I, I wrote three and a half years ago. I published three and a half years ago. And it is what... God used to help me be able to be here talking to you. So if you have that calling, if you have this desire that you've been studying this, put it down. And any of you that are interested in anything that you've liked to hear from me, please read it and ask any question you have. So Matthew, thank you again for letting me be a part of this, and I'll hand it back over to you. Well, Clinton, you have been a blessing. No doubt to that. And Ladies and gentlemen, I in no way meant that to be, uh, well, derogatory toward anybody. The simple fact that I get so many emails saying that I've been studying Bible prophecy for 20 years. 
and you know, let me let me go ahead and do this uh, before we play the break. Um, me and Brian attempted to do a show last night, and I I apologized then, but it <laughs> uh, BTR's server was so messed up that uh, we had to scrub that show. So we're going to do that WI2C radio here coming up sometimes this week, but. Uh, In reference to me using um, the terms idiot and or stupid and other things, I have earnestly repented of it, and I do seek you all's forgiveness. That was completely uncalled of me. Brian has brought to my attention what what spurs that on. It's when I go to other ministries' websites and... Uh, look at their post, and they're posting categorically uh, about the entertainment industry, most notably uh, Nibiru, Flat Earth, and Rapture. So Brian uh, said that when I do that, I get out of control. So uh, he told me to stop that, and I have indeed taken his direction. Uh, so I will no longer do that. It's just... A lot of those people I've um, even had roundtables with. And, uh, you know, my wife laughed at me that Brian had said that because, you know, my wife knows I was only going over there to look to see if there was some way or that I could comment to help them without directly getting involved. And we are not permitted to sin in our anger, are we? So I have repented of it, and I do seek your forgiveness. It's completely uncalled for. You know, ladies and gentlemen, you need to really think about Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 19 with everything that Clinton did in fact just cover whether we like it or not this is going to happen ladies and gentlemen they will fling their silver into the streets and their gold will become an abhorrent thing their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord they cannot satisfy their appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs, for the iniquity has become an occasion of stumbling. Now look, Clinton's just described how this very thing could happen. And if you're wondering when that day is, ladies and gentlemen, that is the sixth seal. When the Lord your God, whom is sitting upon the throne, when he stands up, everything under the heavens, everything under his feet, which is everything that has been created, is going to salute him.
I all want, want you to think about what I mentioned earlier, ladies and gentlemen. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 9. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. He answers him in verse 20, ladies and gentlemen. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. Ladies and gentlemen, he was shown writers one, two, three, and four. And he just explained to you. These are events going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. As a precursor to the day of him who sitteth upon the throne. What I just told you is real. That's not a theory. That's what God says from Genesis to Revelation. And it's time for you to intimately start listening to what he actually says. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I read the beginning of first Zechariah, do you know when that date happens? You need to start thinking biblically. You need to start acting like you're preparing your garments as a woman in preparation for her wedding. Because the 24th of Shavat, 5, 7, 7, 8... That's that's what year it really is. It's fifty seven seventy eight. That's February ninth, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's coming up. Do you know what happens that night? This isn't random. This is the night that there is a conjunction between Mars and the faithful witness in the sign of the restrainer. Do you not know that we're in a sequence right now? Of three supermoons. These supermoons was December third, it's gonna be January first and January thirty first. Do you not know that the distance between these supermoons, which, oh, ladies and gentlemen, it's exactly 59 days. That's exactly what God said a season was in Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. It's things like that, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord your God has told you he himself, he's the one that made it, he's the one that designed it. He said there's six seasons, but none of you believe him. You believe your calendars. Ladies and gentlemen, your calendars are lying to you. 
And I've got a feeling he's about ready to just go ahead and prove it to you. You, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty bad when you don't even accept what he calls a month and a day and a year. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? He tops this, this sequence of three supermoons with an eclipse. That January 31st, the last one eclipse is a supermoon. It's a super eclipse. I'm sorry that sometimes I sin in my anger. I'm sorry that sometimes I upset you. I assure you, I will quadruple my efforts to keep that in check from now on, that I've got a really good stern rebuking from Brian. Because you need to be in the process of getting your garments ready. And let me ask you this. Is your hope in your retirement or in your redemption? Which one? Because everything that Clinton discussed about currency pertains to your heart of hearts. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, where your treasure is, there your heart is. How many of you that's studied Bible prophecy for 20 years, your hope is actually in your retirement? Why don't you all please consider that God doesn't need money to take care of you. He really doesn't. He doesn't need currency at all. But I don't understand why all of you at your core are completely convinced the only way he takes care of you is with currency. This week's break is a Christmas edition uh, from Nate over at Reawaken Hymns. I strongly suggest uh, you go bless Nate because he has all of his stuff on albums that you can purchase digitally. And you know what? How many of you desperately need to start filling your houses and your cars With gospel music.
how many of your houses, whenever you are home, it's either silent or turn or or the TV is turned on. When was the last time you threw in a gospel CD? You might be surprised what acoustics can do to the color of white. We'll be back in nine minutes, six seconds. You are listening to the End Time Tribune. This Christmas season, many of us will sing Christ by high heaven adore Christ the everlasting Lord Late in time, behold him come Offspring of virgins Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see One of the most foundational things we can know as Christians is that in the beginning was God. Before there was anything at all, there was God. Before the first light shot through the darkness, before the first tick of time, there was God. And from the beginning of time, before the foundation of the world, it was the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all equally and fully God, yet one, who desired a covenant relationship with humanity. This is my story as much as it is your story. Genesis chapter 1 says, Let us make man and woman in our image after our likeness. It also says of humanity, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the land, and the plants of the earth. We then have to ask the question, why? Why did God create humanity? Why be fruitful and multiply? Why have dominion and subdue the earth? When you make something, you have a reason for creating it, right? Both the Old and New Testament speak of man being created and existing to show forth God's glory on earth. The number one question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks, what is the chief end of man? Or why are we ultimately here? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Christ by heart, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, the old Him come, offspring of virgins. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead in the garden, it was the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, living in perfect community with each other. The Trinity is a perfect display of our intended relationship with God, with one another, and with creation. But then in a truly absurd turn of events, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled and sinned against the Godhead. Before you were born, Adam was chosen to represent humanity's relationship with God, and he failed. Just note the transition from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. It's a strange and absurd transition. The man and the woman were at peace in the garden, and then all of a sudden, now the serpent was more crafty than any other. This serpent, the devil himself, deceived Adam and Eve into thinking that God was withholding truth from them. They took the bait, and because of it, sin and death entered and remains part of our daily life. 
This sin has drastic consequences for all people of the earth. All people have inherited this fallen state. Namely, we now suffer separation from God. All the harmony with God, with ourselves, with creation is now broken. What is humanity to do? But just as foundational to knowing that God exists is to know that from the beginning of time, God also had a plan of salvation. Hi, this is Nathan, and you're listening to Reawaken Hymns. For more information and hymn resources, check out my website, www.reawakenhymns.com, or find me on YouTube at Reawaken Hymns. Father God has an answer to the sin problem that imprisons humanity. In Genesis 3, 1 through 7, we read the story of how sin entered the world. Yet even at this lowest point for humanity, Father God in love preached the first gospel message to our first parents, Adam and Eve. Genesis 3:15 is that message. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, God was declaring that Satan would be crushed, and at the same time, he was ushering in his kingdom once again for his people. All throughout the Old Testament, God would establish covenants with his people, Israel. He would declare to them this theme, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Yet again, because of sin, Israel rebelled over and over. They were captives to their own sins. They were hard of heart, and because Israel failed to love God and to love their neighbor... They were even held captive to the Assyrians and the Babylonians, exiles in their own land. Who would free them from this captivity? Scriptures say he will come from Bethlehem. Listen to the words of Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. The rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Bethlehem is a real place. This ruler didn't come from Middle Earth or from Narnia or from a galaxy far, far away as much as we love those places. No, this ruler would be born in Bethlehem. His mother was a young peasant girl, a virgin. His father was a carpenter. Luke chapter 2 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Jesus Christ of Nazareth just entered the world. At this point, the Lord spoke to some curious shepherds. These words made famous during this Christmas season and also for Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
God gives to the world a Savior, not on the world's terms or according to, to popular expectation, but in his own surprising and wonderful and mysterious way. The Savior came into the world as a baby, a fragile infant. This is what we call the doctrine of the Incarnation. Incarnation is the Christian teaching that God, who is spirit, makes himself human in order to enter into life on earth among us. This is God entering into history. This is the creator entering into his creation. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Christmas is all about the incarnation. If we strip away the busyness of the season, the decorating, the eating, the eggnog, the gift exchanging, and the holiday parties, what remains is a humble birth story and a stunning reality. God sent his only begotten son into the world to save sinners. He did this on a real day in a real city among real people. The Messiah is about to come to us in the flesh, a very real and living and breathing person. Jesus Christ, the God-man, would grow up and he would fulfill this mission of God the Father by way of preaching and teaching about the coming of the kingdom of God and the final restoration of all things. He'd give his life for this mission, for his people. He was born a man and he would die a man. It was on the cross of Christ that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Such things become a reality at his resurrection. stuff, ladies and gentlemen. That was good stuff. That was good stuff. That's probably another thing I need to uh, refrain from. Bri, I probably should stay away from these people that hate the celebration of Christ's birth. I mean, it's neither here nor there when it's celebrated or, you know, Actually, we should be celebrating it, I don't know, once a month probably. But uh, I probably should stay away from that, huh, Bri? Uh, I probably should stay clear of that topic as well. Uh, I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that sometimes I I get frustrated. Um with people. I truly do regret that. There's no way for me to teach them. There's no way for me to explain to them if I'm too busy sinning in my anger. So, Brian, you have the floor. Yeah, it's rather amazing people are back on that train again this year, huh? I bet you I know every one of them that's doing it, as always, but that's neither here nor there. To get into things that actually are very important as we speak. Starting earlier in the week, and I don't see that this has been eclipsed whatsoever by the Jerusalem announcement that happened later in the week. We had an article that was released here. 
um, Strategic Culture Foundation, and it's possible this came from another link. No, it did not. Um, U.S. new moves, war with Iran, may be much closer than we think. Essentially, this goes on to point out all of the uh, posturing within the United States government. For instance, uh, CIA Director Mike Pompeo had sent a letter to the uh, leader of the Iranian or the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and elite Quds. What we were communicating to him in that letter was that we will hold him and Iran accountable, and we wanted to make sure that he and the leadership of Iran understand that in a way that was crystal clear. This goes on to basically point out some other very important factors. According to Kurdish Bas News, a large-scale U.S. force arrived at the Kawan base K-1 west of Kirkuk on November 28th to split into two contingents. Several hundred servicemen stayed on base. Another contingent headed east on December 1st towards Tuz Kuman in eastern Iraq and took control of the Sadiq military airport 35 kilometers to the west. Taz Kumuntu lies 100 kilometers west of the Iraqi-Iranian border and 163 kilometers north of Baghdad. U.S. forces have never been deployed so close to the Iranian border since the 2003 U.S. invasion of Iraq. And there's just a string of things that goes on to point out here continually again here. And as I stated before, Strategic Culture.org uh, is where you can find the story. U.S. New Moves War with Iran may be much closer than we think. I would highly advise people take a look over this article. Going hand in hand with that. Now, this is a little bit, well, how do we say this? A bit of a nice betrayal, even more so, has been exposed within... What happened with the Kurdistan referendum and Kirkuk? Kurdistan24.net, Washington reveals U.S. troops already in Kirkuk. U.S. Ambassador to Baghdad, Douglas Silliman, said his country had maintained a military presence in Kirkuk for quite some time, addressing rumors of a military deployment to the disputed city for the first time since they rose last week. Basically what it boils down to, folks, is when the uh, Iraqi and um, mostly made up of Shiite militia attacked Kirkuk while the uh, Kurdish people were there, the United States military was sitting right there in Kirkuk the entire time. Now we had some real interesting stuff. Mr. Mikhail Saakashvili just does not want to disappear. Uh, they've arrested him twice this week now. Let's see, businessinsider.com. Ukraine tried to detain an anti-corruption leader, but he broke free. Georgia's former president, Mikhail Saakashvili, Flashes victory sign after he was freed by his supporters in Kiev on December 5th of 2017. And yes, folks, he is still causing trouble 
with uh, President Petro Poroshenko in the Ukraine after they kicked him out. He managed to get back in again. And he's calling for corruption hearings against the president with the small backing that he has there. But nonetheless, corruption has been running rampant all throughout the Ukraine ever since the Western back coup. No, I'm not going to say Russian annexation. Sorry, folks. Now, this is a big story that broke early in the week. And... Good grief, folks. I don't know if you can make this stuff up. See, I think it was, I don't know how many months back, it was quite a while ago that I warned everybody that what we were watching take place here in the United States government, as everybody was uh, concerned with the infamous, uh, well, I guess they're calling it Russiagate now. I kind of warn people, you better start looking at this again, because what we're dealing with here is an Iran-Contra affair. So, here's the string of stories that were released this week. And as I stated, you can't make this stuff up. Oliver North urging White House to build private spy army, overseen by Betsy Davos' brother, reports. Well, who is Betsy Davos' brother? We talked about him time and time again. He's the ex-Blackwater founder, Eric Prince, who now runs Frontier Services in China, which is partially owned by the Chinese government. We had the story that was broke by The Intercept on this. Trump's transition team colluded. Oops, we'll get to that one. Never mind. Where is this one? Okay, we had another article on this. The Trump administration is mulling a pitch for a private rendition and spy network. The White House and CIA have been considering a package of secret proposals to allow former U.S. intelligence officers to run privatized covert actions, intelligence gathering, and propaganda missions, according to three sources who have been briefed on or have direct knowledge of the proposals. One of the proposals would involve hiring a private company, Amnitar Group, for millions of dollars to set up a large intelligence network and run counter-terrorist propaganda efforts, according to the sources. Amnitar's officials and employees include veterans of a variety of U.S. covert operations ranging from the Reagan-era Iran-Contra affair to more recent actions in Iraq and Afghanistan. Let's see here. Theintercept.com. Trump's White House weighing plans for private enemy, private spies to counter deep state enemies. And I'm going to point out right now, I do not agree with the deep state portion of this. But once again, this article goes into essentially the very same things. Um... Let's see here. Who's involved in this? The heart of the scheme being considered by the White House are Blackwater founder Eric Prince and his longtime associate CIA veteran John R. McGuire, who currently work for the intelligence contractor Amitar Group. Uh, McGuire also served on Trump's transition team. Amitar's role was first reported by BuzzFeed News. So, uh, yes, folks. Oliver North is in the mix with this, and I think it's important that everybody understands 
what was happening during the Reagan administration when George Bush Sr. was running his own intelligence operation behind the scene. And this is how Oliver North and the Iran-Contra scandal started in the first place, by running off-books intelligence operations it's the same thing all over again, folks, and we're staring at this exact same thing all over again. Now, we've got on top of it, there's statements that he has met with Vice President Pence. So this is one of these odd little stories that I would keep an eye on at the same time, maybe a little hard to keep an eye on it. Okay, let's see here. Now, we'll touch on this one first. The day before the announcement took place in is concerning Israel and Jerusalem, Benjamin Netanyahu states, we have to act now against Iran. Israel won't allow Iran to establish a military base in Syria, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said, as he called on the world to halt Iran's development of ballistic missiles, nuclear power, and its support of global terrorism. We have to act now against Iran, Netanyahu said on Wednesday afternoon at the Jerusalem Post Diplomatic Conference. So, folks, he's already right previous to this. Folks, this Iran thing is not going away because of what just happened here. And you need to comprehend what has been going on behind the scenes with, I guess this is a bit of a more complex circumstance. Because, for one, the Secretary of State, the State Department, has been gutted. They have hardly any ambassadors whatsoever anywhere within the Middle East. Jared Kushner has been continually over meeting with the leader of Saudi Arabia, bin Salman, Mohammed bin Salman, meeting with Israel. All kinds of things that have been going on here behind the scenes with this. Now, we did not see hardly any outcry whatsoever coming out of Saudi Arabia when you would have expected them to be the first to completely explode concerning this. But we had a little bit of a, how do you say this, fluctuation within the news where Saudi Arabia came forward and condemned it and then everything went quiet. Now, here's a story that broke Last week, Matthew and I talked about this privately. Didn't say anything on it about on air last week. But now it's sort of right here where everybody needs to pay attention to this. Trump's transition team colluded with Israel. Why is that not news? Did the Trump campaign collude with Vladimir Putin to win the 2016 election? Maybe. We await special counsel. Robert Miller's next move to learn more about that. But in the meantime, why aren't more members of Congress or the media discussing the Trump transition team's pretty brazen collusion with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to undermine both U.S. government policy and international law? Shouldn't that be treated as a major scandal? Now, here's what was found out, folks. As well, no, Michael Flynn was pled guilty to lying to the FBI for his meetings with the Russian uh, diplomat, 
But he was also pointed, and many of the sources have speculated that it was Jared Kushner that pushed him in that direction. The reason he met with that ambassador was hoping to get them to vote differently on the resolution that was going through concerning the settlements inside of Israel. And this is what keeps turning up here, folks. Tidbits like this, for instance. They keep doing these investigations, and then they find out that there's collusion going on with foreign governments that are not Russia. We got the Ukraine. We had dealings with Turkey. Money laundering in Cyprus. Israel. So far, the Russia thing is sort of flopping in the wind. Goes back to what I just brought up a little while ago, folks. You're so certain we're not dealing with Iran-Contra Part 2. Now, earlier in the week, former President uh, Salah was killed in uh, Yemen. And there's a very uh, extensive article out there that you can find on lowblog.com. And it's entitled, The Killing of Former President Salah Could Worsen Yemen's War. Once again, this is one I would advise people reading because this is a very complex situation. His group was, to an extent, aligned with the Shiite Houthi uh, militias that are there inside of Yemen in the midst of this war. And suddenly he sort of turned turncoat with his group and was killed in the process, and now it looks like that many of the people that were following him are probably going to come under Houthi rule. Now, this situation in Yemen is not getting any better. It is still probably one of the worst uh, humanitarian crises that we've had at this point in time. We've got Yemen is the worst humanitarian crisis in the world with 7 million on the brink of famine, over 3 million internally displaced, and an expected 1 million cases of cholera by the end of the year. Now, there's been multiple things that have been done to try to... Blockades keep getting put up at different air bases, different ports, and so on and so forth. Uh, Saudi Arabia will lift it a little bit so they can start getting stuff in there, but it never quite reaches the people that are in need. United States has been involved with this situation with Yemen. From day one, they have been giving coordinates, guiding the Saudi Arabian warplanes that are going in there and bombing, and this just goes on and on and on. As I said, this is a complex, very complex topic with what has happened here with the killing of this former president, and I would advise everybody read this article as well. And we'll bring that up before I get into these other topics. Erdogan, this is out of Ynet. This came out on the uh, 5th. New York trial U.S. conspiracy against Turkey. Erdogan is calling the New York trial of a Turkish banker a U.S. conspiracy being staged to blackmail and blemish his country. Erdogan on Tuesday also characterized the trial against Halk Bank executive 
Attila on charges of helping Iran evade U.S. sanctions as a ploy to distract Turkey while Washington allegedly hatches plans to strengthen Syrian Kurdish groups that Turkey considers to be terrorists. Erdogan said Turkey has no plans against the United States, but it is clear that the U.S. has plans against it. A Turkish-Iranian gold trader, Reza Zareb, has pleaded guilty to the charges and is now a key witness in the trial. Turkish authorities have detained 17 people linked to the Zareb in an investigation launched after he cooperated with U.S. authorities. And this is basically this trial involves Turkey trading with Iran in gold to skirt these sanctions, uh, trading in oil. That's what the accusations are. There's a lot more that goes into this. Erdogan and some folks in Turkey seem to be finally putting two and two together of who was actually behind the coup that happened in Turkey. And there's a couple of releases that came out of there where he's finally pointing out flat out that America had its hands in the Gulen coup that happened, which tried to remove him from power. So Turkey's situation's not getting any better. Uh, Turkey also, as well, earlier in the week, threatened that they were going to break off any ties with Israel if this declaration of Jerusalem being the capital had gone through. And obviously it has went through, so I would think that Turkey has probably broken off any diplomatic ties whatsoever with Israel now. As is brought up in this this article as well is the situation concerning the Syrian Kurds. And that is also a very complex circumstance that, folks, I would highly advise looking into this because this will be a spot of major contention as they are trying to move forward now with the Syrian peace talks as the civil war winds down, or at least, as has been stated in both Syria, Putin announced that ISIS has been removed from Syria, and now the same thing happened today with Iraq's leader, Abadi, as he announced that ISIS has been removed from Iraq. Now, the problem with that is, is many of them had moved over to the Sinai. In Afghanistan earlier this week, there was over 300 of them, ISIS members that were caught as well there in training exercises. So, yeah, they may have been pushed out of Syria and Iraq, but they're still popping up, folks, and it's possible... This is probably going to be a thorn in the side for quite some time still. Now, let's see here. What other things do I want to cover before I get to that? Well, we can talk about this real quickly. Pence is going to be going to the Middle East between the 17th, I believe, through the 19th of December. And let's see now. Uh, Abaz, the uh, PLO leader, has said, nope, we're not going to talk to you. Two different leaders inside of Egypt now have stated, no, we are not going to be involved in these talks. The Egyptian leader of the Egyptian Christian Church in Egypt said, do not come here. And on top of it, one of the major Islamic leaders stated the same thing. And this seems to be flaring up over and over and over again. 
Nobody wants to talk to the United States now concerning the Middle East peace process. And can you blame them? Let's see here. What else do we have? Okay. We had this happen last weekend. Well, it's happening again. Tonight, we have thousands marching in Tel Aviv to protest against Netanyahu corruption. Thousands of Israelis protested in Tel Aviv on Saturday for the second consecutive week against government corruption and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is under criminal investigation over allegations of abuse of office. Police estimated the number of demonstrators at about 10,000, and they followed last Saturday's demonstration, which was by far the largest of the recently weekly anti-corruption protests when an estimated 20,000 people participated. And this is, these are two of the reasons. The protests have been sparked by corruption allegations against Netanyahu, who denies any wrongdoing. The four-term leader is suspected of involvement in two cases. The first involves receiving gifts from wealthy businessmen, and the second involves negotiating a deal with the newspaper owner for better coverage in return for curbs on a rival daily. Well, there's other reasons as well, folks, and that ties in on top of it to the German submarine deal that just took place not long back. Okay. Now, this was one that I found this morning that I found very troubling as I read through this. This is out of a site that is uh, named uh, pajwok.com, P-A-J-H-W-O-K.com. Lawmakers urge U.N. to cancel U.S. decision on Jerusalem. As This is out of an Afghanistan news source, folks. And the further you look through this, you're going to find out Let's see here if I can find this while we're doing this. Uh, okay, um, let's see. Uh, Samanki, a lawmaker from southeastern uh, Paktia province, condemned Trump's decision and said if we Afghans cannot do any other things, we should at least cancel our strategic accord with the U.S. and stop diplomatic relations with it goes on, there are more people within the Afghanistan government that are stating the exact same things. Folks, this is rather troubling when we've got the United States inside of Afghanistan. They're supposed to be in there on top of it training uh, varied groups to fight back against the different terror uprisings, be it Taliban or whomever it may be. There's obviously many groups involved in this circumstance. And they're saying we're going to break off diplomatic ties and cancel strategic accord? Folks, this could get ugly. And another topic on back to good old Kirkuk. Iraq and Iran agreed to export up to 60,000 barrels per day of Kirkuk oil until completion of pipeline. This is basically about a oil deal between Iran and Iraq. And this did not happen until the Iraqi and Baghdad-backed militias took over Kirkuk. A 
Okay, that's one that just came out in the last hour. Now we're going to start addressing some other circumstances here. Now, folks, we know a lot of, obviously, what happened pretty much here in broad daylight, but I wonder how many people are aware of the fact of, I don't know, I pulled up probably a good, I'd say, 20-some articles here in the last few days. Let's give a couple of headlines here. Washington State Journal. Evangelical Christians lobbied hard for Trump's move on Jerusalem. Why evangelicals are ecstatic about Trump's Jerusalem move. You can find tons of them over and over and over again. And now we get to deal with the fact of what happens when people don't understand Bible prophecy. Because that's what these articles really are all about. Start looking at many of these. This comes to the fact that they state that all of Jerusalem has to be under Israeli control for Messiah to come back. That's one of them. The other one's stating that, well, we need to do this so they can build the third temple. So that Messiah can come back. Folks. Have you forgotten your crusade's history? Haven't we heard this before? Just me? Have I missed something here? But to doing this, stating these things, while completely misconstruing prophecy. You see, when it makes it into full-blown regular news sources... This is when it becomes dangerous. But sort of to make matters worse, somebody that we at least have known as a colleague managed to find themselves right on Israeli news, announcing that the apocalypse was beginning. Yes. Couldn't believe it. Just unbelievable. But, I mean, here was a question I was asked earlier in the week. From one of the uh, articles I posted, because obviously it really sort of bothered some people. And I'll read the uh, article here, and the response to this was, surely you're not posting this because you disagree with the decision to acknowledge that Jerusalem is Israel's capital. It had nothing to do with why I posted this article. But people that have listened to these shows over time here should... um recognize immediately once I start reading it why Trump upended the entire history of the Middle East diplomacy and delivered Netanyahu's ultimate coup this came out of Haaretz Israeli news earlier this week Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as Israel's capital is all about painting himself as more courageous than his predecessors and to heck with the potential consequences for the region's people. The Jerusalem Embassy Act passed by the U.S. Congress in 1995 was a right-wing ambush against both the Clinton administration and the Israeli government of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. Neither Clinton or Rabin 
then fully invested in the Oslo Accords, were interesting in allowing the nuclear issue of Jerusalem to intrude on the negotiations with the Palestinians at that stage. It was an attempt by the leader of the opposition, Benjamin Netanyahu, and his allies in Washington to derail Oslo. Rabin, as Israel's leader and the Israel Defense Force chief of staff, who commanded the capture of East Jerusalem in 1967, had no choice but to outwardly support the act, which passed overwhelmingly in Congress, though he raged behind closed doors at Netanyahu's maneuver. Clinton then signed a waiver postponing the move of the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem every six months for secure national security reasons, as would his successors in the Oval Office. Twenty-two years after lobbying behind the scenes for the Jerusalem Embassy Act, Netanyahu finally has a president in the White House who is willing to turn it into actual American policy. Every element of Donald Trump's proclamation wrecking Jerusalem as the capital of Israel confirmed to Netanyahu's standard talking points. It was heavy on the Jewish connection to Jerusalem established in ancient times and on Israel as one of the most successful democracies in the world. It barely contained an oblique reference to any Palestinian claims to Jerusalem or indeed a reference to a Palestinian state. Beyond tentative support, of the two-state solution, if agreed to by both sides. And, you know, I can stop there on this one. Folks, if you're using a computer that has some sort of ad blocker, you won't pull up anything from Haaretz anymore. I can't get it to load anywhere. But for those of you using phones, usually you don't have an ad blocker. And then you can pull this article up. Read it for yourself. Now, it's to further my response to that question concerning this article it doesn't have anything to do with me agreeing or disagreeing about what happened this week but this article is absolutely correct in what it is saying this is actually what has happened and this article reported it we've talked time and time again about Netanyahu's moves his connections with the right wing government here in the United States the fact that he started out as an Israeli diplomat in the United States and then went over later, obviously, to become the leader there. But nonetheless, you cannot remove what happened with Yitzhak Rabin, his assassination, and what was happening at that very time when Netanyahu was running for office. Folks, you need to go out and look into this. It's very, very important that you understand this. And this goes back into another topic because I've gotten a little tired of seeing this over and over again. I saw a response to what happened with the announcement concerning Jerusalem this week. The first thing that this person had to say was, well, hopefully this is going to lift the curse that happened because Obama was dividing Israel. Folks, do you not know your history? I really have to ask this question right now. Do you realize what happened between the varying wars, between the 1922 declaration from the British mandate going up to the declaration of 47, moving forward, six-day war? Do you not comprehend that Israel has been divided numerous times now? 
Where does this come from? I mean, I've heard this repeated for years on end that a curse is coming on America because we're trying to divide Israel. They pulled it again under Obama. Nonstop. But yet, folks, you don't know your history enough to realize that's nonsense. It gets old. And the very things I saw happen throughout the week, especially with the string of all of the Crusaders doing exactly what they did, because you look at a multitude of these articles, their entire intent for doing this is they want to bring on the apocalypse. The Crusaders want to bring on the apocalypse. It sounds sort of like a warning that was given early on by at least a few different people about how dangerous this administration actually was in the United States and how dangerous the right wing had become because their only concern is to destroy the world. Well, take a look at what's happened this week. I can't really say I disagree with them now. We've had three days of rage has broke out in Israel. At least 20 different flashpoints were happening with the protests. There's been four Palestinians killed. Two killed in an airstrike as we've had rockets flying out of certain areas within the Gaza Strip. Two others killed between clashes back and forth. How long is this going to continue? We don't know. There was warnings that Hamas leader called for a new intifada to start thus far. We don't know how far that's going to go. Some think it might just fizzle out. It's hard telling. But you have an Iraqi militia that has formed for the sole purpose defending the land of Palestine. Yes, it's made up of mostly Shiite groups. Clinton brought this up earlier. You had a top Shiite member that was standing on the southern Lebanon border overlooking Israel this week. You've had all kinds of moves along these lines. The Arab League had a great big meeting today. They are basically making moves to call for sanctions against what Donald Trump did. And this just keeps going. The entire UN is basically against what happened here with only two people, both from the United States, standing on one side. Now, folks, we talked time and time again about the Ten Kings and Revelation. Now, if my idea is correct that those Ten Kings are the very same ones listed in the infamous Ezekiel 38 and 39 Gog and Magog War, Everybody, you do understand that each and every single one of those nations, after I went through painstaking amounts of work to get them all in their proper place, the United States of America has just ticked off each and every single one of them in one swift shot. There's nobody on that list now that is not ticked off at what the United States just did. That might be something to think about because those ten kings are going to burn her. Now they have a motive. That said, I'm going to hand that back over to you guys. Couldn't have put that any better. Now they have a motive. 
Clinton, your comments on what uh, Brian had to cover and or what I covered? You know, I mean, uh, the motive. <laughs> I mean, seriously, when you when you, people are talking about working to actually bring about the apocalypse, I mean, what kind of mentality do we have to have? I mean, like, to truly think you can do this just so you can be raptured out. Um, that, that's absolutely insane. And, and, and people have talked about the Illuminati, talked about these underground societies, talked about the Knights Templar and the intelligence has been sent down through the generations and how it's filtered into everything that's going on. But we're seeing something. There's something deep down that's, that's that's brewing that's been brewing that is has a plan and is executing that plan to a T. I mean, you you can say these are all random events, but no, they're actually trying to bring about actual war in the Middle East. That's the only explanation for what's going on. And and as Brian said, yeah, we we just ticked off everyone that we needed to to fulfill that prophecy everyone i mean why are we why do we have drones in somalia like why why do we have everything developing the way that it is well because it's meant to history is repeating itself in every avenue yeah the crusades are repeating themselves that's what brian just said we have everything repeating itself. So, yeah, this is absolutely amazing to see. So I'll hand it back to Matt. This is what we're really talking about, all right? Let's just read it. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God put it in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and to give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I just read to you Zechariah chapter 1, which painfully described to you what God's will is. Let, Let me read it one more time. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. I've already read to you what his will is concerning this. This is no joke. Just, I'll read it one more time, I guess. Starting in verse 15 of Zechariah chapter 1. After uh, the Lord is questioned. And I am sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they have helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, be built in it saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. 
quiet saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. My cities, through prosperity, shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. That's his will, ladies and gentlemen. That's his will. So, if you can't put two and two together, what's being talked about in Revelation chapter 17? Look, man, this is real. Don't you realize that the four horns that the four craftsmen go to oppose, you all need to look up and investigate the Middle East Quartet no, really, <laughs> because it's real. All the countries on the planet have focused all their efforts into a quartet. They are the horns. <laughs> and just so you know, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, in order for the Lord... Did you not hear what he said? Here, one more time. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, in order for him to return to Jerusalem, don't you understand that he has to get up off his throne and come have a look-see? Don't don't you realize that? So <laughs> well, that's all I've got to say about everything that, that Brian pointed out about that and Clinton reiterated. You know? I mean, we just have reiteration upon reiteration upon reiteration upon reiteration. I mean, this is what the Lord's will is. But it puts us on the wrong side of the equation, doesn't it, ladies and gentlemen? Because there's two sides of this equation. You're on the side of the craftsman or the horns. I hope you take that to heart, what I just said. I mean, I hope you all understood the linguistics that I implemented just then. There are two sides of this equal equation. On one side, there are four horns. They make up all the countries that are represented by the Middle East Quartet. The other side of that equation is the four craftsmen, which the angel showed Zechariah. And they're going to ride for glory. So, that's my thoughts on it. We are to the end of the broadcast. Brian and I will proceed to do some WI2C radio. Make no mistakes about it. I will do so 
with a level head without derogatory terms being used. It's very important that you all know not only who you are, but where you're at on the timeline. And that's what we're going to do with the next show. We're going to show you where you come from. We're going to show you how you got there. So, Quentin, come on and give your contact information and say your goodbyes for the weeks, please. You know, it's it's important to remember who we are. I mean, we're all we're all here for one reason, and that's because well, he chose to have us here during this time. So, the only advice is what Matthew just said: remember who you are. Um, anyone wants to find me, uh, you can find me on the website uh, clintoncoach.com. Um, or you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Clinton Co-Watch is the handle, and all the articles that we talk about. And again, uh, you know, please uh, download my uh, book this weekend uh, on Kindle. Um, it'll be free, and just look up Submissive Wisdom, and, and hopefully enjoy. If you have any questions, let me know. Thank you again, and thank you for your support. May God guide you on your journey. Brian, uh, your contact information and websites and goodbyes for the week, please. Well, I think I'll give a closing thought here quickly because over the course of time here, folks, we're hopefully going to start ironing out some of these kinks. When you have the distortion of a false teaching coming out in broad daylight to the point where it's affected literally the entire world, boy, oh boy, it's a pretty dangerous premise, folks. But with that said, you can contact me at thebandsoftime at gmail.com, at Overt Attention Show on Twitter, and my website is overtattentionshow.com. Thanks for joining us. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate Brian's closing thoughts. It echoes my own spirit. You know, I think you should try to get out of your habits really quickly. And and if uh, getting a copy of Clinton's book to get you away from whatever it is, whatever quagmire you find yourself in, whether it be sport or or, uh, maybe TV series, I don't know. I don't know. Then do it, and and by all means, go look up Nate at uh, Reawaken Hymns. He's got all kinds of, of I think, he's got multiple uh, uh, albums or, or CDs. I'm not, I'm not sure what you call it because it's online. And start filling your house and your car with those all the time. St- start breaking these habits you've got that just consumes your time. You know, if I, I've gotten several emails this week, strangely, about YouTube. I, I guess there's people I, – I don't <laughs> – ladies and gentlemen, sometimes it's hard for me to connect with this generation because I biblicate. That's all I've ever did. I mean, people 
you know, I've had to re-tell everybody about me that, no, I, I was not allowed to read commentaries when I was a child. I, I, I was never allowed to do that. So I, I don't understand why somebody would just start watching YouTube and then the whole day goes by and they said, yeah, I've caught myself watching YouTube videos all day. I'm like, well, I, well what was you watching? Well... You know, I'd watch some funny videos, and then they'd go to this and go to that. And I, I, so literally, you sat there all day. And I didn't understand that. Well, uh, this afternoon, I've done been through uh, the Delitz translation of the Hebrew James, the whole thing, and, and that's what you did today. So it's it's. I mean, I don't understand people that, that, that are addicted to sports, and, and I'll ask them, and they'll know the, you know, the batting averages of, of, of these random people, and I'm like, I, I, I don't understand it. This much I do understand. That God forged me for a reason. God has brought Clinton, Brian, and I together for a specific purpose. Of that, I have no doubt, and I'm grateful for it. We are doing this for you. But if you're caught up thinking about other things, you can't concentrate on getting those garments ready. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed.